0: story behind that song? It was written by a guy named Matt Redman, and he's a worship leader, uh, which is, you know, obviously, uh, well, not obviously, but anyway, he's a worship leader. His name's Matt Redman. You probably heard him on the radio maybe, um, and it's, it's been probably 20 or 25 years now. He came in to lead worship one time. He was at this church that had lots of production elements and everything at their church, and he, uh, he comes in, and the pastor had gone in and had cleared everything off the stage, everything was gone, all the instruments, all the decorate, everything. And, um, he went out and, and led that song just, just that, that that's where he went out and had to lead worship without all of the stuff. I'm sorry, I'm messing up the story. Anyway, what he learned through that, that's not, he didn't, hadn't written the song yet. He learned through that, that it, worship, the idea was worship wasn't about all the stuff going on up here. It was about our heart posture towards God and showing him his, his, his worth, ascribing worth to him. Uh, and so that's where that song came from. I think it's uh, in the best way ironic that today on a day where we were having technical difficulties and didn't have all the stuff we normally do, that's the song that, that got picked. So I, I will just chalk that up to the Lord's sovereignty and his providence. Um, well, if you've been following along with us, either online or in person, we've been marching through the book of Micah, uh, which is one of the minor prophets. We talked about how he had ministered for about 30 years, and he was alive at the same time as Isaiah. And they were kind of, they were they were kind of ministered at the same time. Contemporaries is the word I was looking for. And so anyway, so we, that's where we're at. We're going to be in Micah chapter 4 if you want to stick your thumb in that or scroll open to find that. Uh, Micah chapter 4, we're going to be doing the whole chapter again, which is uh, what our, uh, our, our uh, sort of mode has been recently. But as we begin in Micah chapter 4, I want to think a little bit about hope. Specifically hope when it seems like there is none. Hope for the hopeless. You know, hope is really uh, essential to life. One of my favorite, one of my favorite uh, series of movies are the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, I don't know if you've seen them or not, or if you've read the book or not. Um, this moment is in the book as well as the movie. Um, and, and I've read the book as well because I went and saw, the, I had never read the book, and then in 2001, I went and saw the first movie when it came out, and I was like, oh, now i got to find out what happens. So I read the book, and thankfully it was pretty close when the other movies came out, but I couldn't wait another year and then two years to find out. But there's a moment in the middle, the middle book or the middle movie called The Two Towers where um, our heroes are at Helm's Deep, which is this fortress, and the battle is is just extremely... Uh, it's not going well okay and Gandalf the 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 wizard right so he had left and gone away and uh, here they were in Aragorn and the king Theoden of of Ro- the kingdom of Rohan you don't really need to know any of this stuff but he was leading them in battle and the the orc hordes are upon them The Uruk-hai are are coming and they've broken in and they've got all the women and children they're hiding them in the caves and the men are, they're they're behind this door and they're trying to barricade it. And then Aragorn remembers something. He remembers that Gandalf told him, look for my arrival on the third day to, to the east. There's a lot of biblical imagery in those, by the way. And all of a sudden, he gets up, and he looks out the window. He sees this light, and he looks out this little window, and there on the hill appears Gandalf, gleaming white with an army of horsemen, and they ride down the hill. And Aragorn and the king, they ride out to them, and they just chop just a complete stream through these armies. Why, why did they do that? Well, hope was restored. They were hopeless. They thought, this is it. This is the end of man. We're all going to die. And then all of a sudden, he remembers the promise that Gandalf had made. And he looks out and he sees them coming down. And then their hope is restored. When you're living in a hopeless way, there's great despair. When we go through life, and, and I know looking at some of the things going on in our world today, for me even, it looks like, it's like, wow, I just don't know how this is going to result. Right It looks, and, and if, we, if we let ourselves forget the promises that we have in Christ, if we let ourselves forget that, it can start to seem a little hopelessness and we, uh, hopeless to us, and we can begin to despair. Well, the people in Micah's day were certainly familiar with that type of feeling, or at least they would be, because it was prophesied that they would eventually be conquered and captured and taken off to Babylon. Proverbs 13.12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. I love that. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. When when hope seems a long way out and it's like it's always coming, but then it's not, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Romans 15.4 says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope so the things that were written were written to give us hope to encourage us so that we could have hope so that when it looks bleakest and darkest we would have hope now if you've been with us or if you're familiar with the book of micah chapters one through three that we've already covered can be pretty discouraging right there's some stuff in there that Micah says that's going to happen to these folks that is not good, right? I mean, there's 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 some stark language. But then we hit chapter 4, and there's this, like, it's like hitting a wall almost of a stark contrast in the theme and in what's going on in the book. See, Micah had told Judah and Israel that he was going to come down and judge them because they'd broken... Uh, that God was going to come down and judge them because they'd broken their covenant with him. They they should have taken this as an opportunity to repent and to change their lives, yet they continued in their idolatry and willful ignorance of God's counsel. And yet, yet, there was going to be a faithful remnant. Can you imagine being one of the faithful folks during that time? Micah's prophesying... The destruction's coming, because, this idolatry, because, and these things are happening around you, and you've been faithful, but everyone else's sin is, is affecting you as well. <clears throat> they would be affected and suffer because of other people's sinful choices. But this group would persevere through the coming judgment. And here we have the mood of the book that changes. Chapter four, Micah gives an amazing word of hope to the people. So we're going to begin reading in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Dear, could you get me a bottle of water, please? I told a friend this morning, we started, I said, yep, anything that could go wrong is going wrong. Uh, And um, you know what? My voice is getting croaky. We had the the computer issues and everything. But you know what? I, I just go back to how... This has sustained me through so many, this isn't in my notes, but this has sustained me through so much in ministry is just knowing that God is in control, God has a plan. None of this comes as a surprise. And so we can roll with it. And I think that connects to what we're talking about today because the people were going to see some pretty rough stuff happen and yet they could have hope. Let's begin reading in Micah chapter 4. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord Shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills. Thank you. And peoples shall flow to it, and many nations ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall decide disputes for strong nations far away, and they shall beat their, plow, their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations, nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But they shall set every man under his vine and under his fig tree. And no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken, for all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. In that day, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame and gather those who have been driven away and those whom I have afflicted, and the lame I will make the remnant. And those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come the former dominion shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished, that pain seized you like a woman in labor? Rithe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. And now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country and shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies." Now many nations are assembled against you, saying, Let her be defiled, and let her eyes gaze upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan, that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves brought their gain to the Lord. Their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. Would you pray with me? God, we've heard from your word. I pray that we would believe it. Help us to believe you, to take you at your word, and to be obedient out of what we have heard. Bore it into our hearts. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we would not sin against you, Jesus. If there's anything, it's just a me, God. Clear it out. This is about you. This is for you, Jesus. May you increase and I decrease, Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. so what do we learn well there's a day coming and messiah will rule and reign micah's message to them was this stuff that's happening it's going to be temporary there's going to be a remnant of faithful people and messiah is going to rule and reign and how will messiah rule and reign now uh, if you're not familiar with the the understanding the israelite understanding of messiah messiah was the promised savior from god okay so, spoiler alert, that's Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, they didn't know that at that point, but it's Jesus Christ, okay? They were promised, Israel was promised that there would be a Messiah come, and he would, he would come from the line of David, and he would rule over them. Now, they, were, they had kind of some misunderstandings about this, Kind of some big misunderstandings about this because the Jews thought that he was going to be a political ruler, like a king uh, that would come in and rule the army and destroy everybody else and establish, because that's how it worked, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, right? Um, but what they got was a suffering servant. Now, he is a king, and he will rule, and he will conquer, okay? Um, but, uh, but they wanted it. They wanted it then, they were looking for it, you know, the, the Pharisees. That's why they had a problem with Jesus, because that wasn't the Messiah they were looking for. But Messiah would come, God's chosen one, God's salvation, would come and rule and reign and would govern Israel by God's laws. We look at verses 1 through 3, we see that he'll govern Israel by God's laws. You know, when we look at the world today, we look around, we see a lot of injustice Everywhere. This was common in the days of micah as well uh, i see injustice all over the place i've been following this news story um the last few days about this young this young lady that disappeared she was out camping uh with her boyfriend in utah and she disappeared and he showed back up at home in florida and then now he's missing i've been following that thing like i'm I don't watch the news on a daily basis, just so you know, Uh, but if there's a story like that going on, I'm kind of glued to it. Or if there's a hurricane, you know, coming and I'm, I mean, I'm on the weather channel and I'm watching the tides rise and all that stuff. It's really interesting. But when you look around and you see things like that, and then they, they get on a national level and we all see them, or we see uh, reports of, of Christians being killed in Afghanistan or other countries, And we look around and we're like, wow, there's there's injustice everywhere. Or people oppressed. Well, in the days of Micah, this was common as well. That was part of what was going on was a lot of injustice. But Micah tells them that there's a day coming when all would be set right and God's Messiah would rule and reign and he would be completely and rightly just that God's justice would reign. God had already given his law to the people and they'd rebelled against him. They'd broken the promise, they'd broken the covenant. Now, imagine the great hope it would have given those who were remaining faithful to hear that in the last days God's law would cover the earth. Last days when the Messiah Jesus reigns on the earth. Imagine the comfort that it would give them to know that, you know what? I'm going to we're conquered, we're taken away as captives, but we know that our Messiah, that God's Messiah will rule and reign. And we we do have that same promise today. Whatever we're going through, whatever the world looks like, we know that this isn't how it ends. It doesn't end like it is right now. Okay? Because I said that a few seconds ago and it didn't end, right? Like, like it ends, what I'm saying is, it it ends with Jesus on the throne. It ends with eternity, which doesn't end. Glory. And his rule and reign will be supreme and it will be eternal. So we go through all this stuff, it looks hopeless, but there is a deep hope out there for those in Christ Jesus of this supreme and eternal hope that awaits. And it will never end, that hope. Those drawn there, so when you look at verses 1 through 3, you see it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So stop at verse 2 there. At the end of verse 2. Those who are drawn there will be drawn, not by some kind of outward compulsion, pushing them to go to a certain place, but by a powerful inward motivation. They will come willingly, and they will call on others to join them there. They'll call on others, come, let's go worship. And that shows us something that that I think is pretty obvious as we look, is that those who are truly converted in heart, those who are truly worshiping Jesus, want to see as many people worship him as well as possible, right? A truly converted heart wants as many people as possible to come to salvation. A, A sure sign that you are following Jesus is that you want other people to follow Jesus. So he would govern by God's laws. Second, he would govern Israel as God's leader. A lot of these headed, these bullet points, if you will, came from an outline from from the uh, Exalting Christ commentary on this, which is amazing. But it it says he will govern Israel as God's leader. What does that mean? Well, Micah could look around, and he could see the rampant idolatry of the people, he could see the uh, wickedness of their leaders, both the political leaders and the religious leaders, if you remember from previous weeks. But Messiah would rule as God's leader. He would lead the people to worship God and he would rule perfectly and justice would abound. In three ways would he lead as God's leader. Number 1, he would secure Israel. He would secure Israel. There were nations around it that were all hostile towards it, that wanted to take it over. And one of them eventually is going to conquer conquer them. But Jesus would, or Messiah would secure Israel, and they would never need to worry about being conquered ever again. Number two, he will reward the faithful among the people. He will reward the faithful among his people. There would be a faithful remnant, and they would be with him. They would go to the temple. They would go to the, to the mountain of the Lord to worship. And number three, his rule will last forever. It will never end. Revelation eleven, fifteen 15 says this. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. If you know Handel's Handel's, uh, Messiah uh, musical composition, you know that that line is in there and it about makes you want to just jump out of your skin like in a good way. Like just so excited when you hear that. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. Messiah will reign justly. He will reign and be God's leader. Messiah will govern Israel by God's discipline. Is, is it Jesus? Okay, we know of Jesus, so Messiah, Jesus. Messiah will govern Israel by God's discipline. We see that in verses 8 and 10. 8 through 10, excuse me. Verses 8 through 10. O you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former domain. Now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in you? Has your counselor perished? That pain sees you like a woman in labor? writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. And now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Soon they were going to be captured by a foreign power. And God was using that event to draw his people's hearts back to him. So let me get this straight. Let's understand this. God was going to use the bad guys. God can use whoever he wants. God was going to use the bad guys to bring his people's hearts back to him. They were going to be oppressed. People were going to die. People were going to become slaves. They were going to be captured. Stuff was going to be destroyed. And God was using all of that so that he could recapture the hearts of his people. He was drawing his people back to him. In this passage, we see a double fulfillment prophecy. Now, what's double fulfillment prophecy? Anytime you read Bible prophecy, you need to be looking for this, okay? Um, because I don't know if you know it, but when people start talking about prophecy, when some people start preaching and teaching prophecy, they can get oh, they can get a little weird. I don't know if you've noticed that. When we start talking about prophecy, people can get a little, they can come up with some real funky stuff, you know? All right, some of you are looking at me and saying, well, yeah, you too. But in this passage, we have what we call a double fulfillment prophecy. Well, here's what that is. It refers to a prophecy that has a, an application for the day when it was the present day when it was made. So Micah prophesied and that had an application to the people he was prophesying to there. But in a double fulfillment prophecy, there is also a future application for the saints or a future application for the church. So there's an application during that time to those people, and there's an application for us, basically. So for the future church. Now, I think a lot more prophecy does that than what some people would maybe agree uh, or, want, or want to have you believe, and I think there's maybe some uh, that that doesn't apply to. I think there may be some prophecy that was just for those people in that time. Now, obviously, we Uh, can, of course, learn from that. So what does it mean that Messiah is going to rule with God's discipline? Well, I'm glad you asked. I have verses. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? For the moment, moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. As parents, we discipline our kids because we love them, right? We don't want them to grow up and be hooligans, all right? We discipline them because we love them. We care about what happens to them. We know better than they do what's best for them, most of the time. We're not perfect, okay, as parents, but God is, and did you ever notice that you typically, when you're going to discipline your child, you don't ask them if it's all right with them, because you're trying to get them to a place they're not going to get on their own. You don't ask your kids. Wow, this discipline that I'm about to use, is that too harsh for you? We don't ask them because we love them and we're trying to mold them and get, them, get their hearts to a place of submission, of obedience. In James chapter 1 For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits." Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. They were going to go through something really, really difficult. And they were going to be tempted to be hopeless about it and to forget the promises that God had made to them. And, folks, that happens to us too. Because of sinful choices in our lives, a lot of time God is trying to work us back in, you know, kind of draw us back to himself. And we kick and scream against it instead of just trusting him through it. I don't know what it is you've got going on in your life right now. It may be something really terrible. It may be something really bad. And the tendency is to blame God or to uh, beg for a way out of it. And look, if you're going through something like a sickness or illness, of course we pray for healing. Of course we pray for whatever terrible thing it is to end, right? But are are we also looking for how God is growing us through that thing? Most of the things I've gone through in the last 20 years, I can look back at them. And not until after, usually, but I can look back and see how God was growing me through that whatever that trial was, whatever that thing was, sometimes it was discipline, sometimes it was just, he was growing me, okay? Sometimes it it, it wasn't necessarily a discipline, but he was growing me to be more like him. And I will remind you, not every bad thing that happens in your life, not every bad thing that happens in your life is a result of some kind of sin, okay? I'm not talking about punishment, okay? Jesus took our punishment for sin on the cross. I'm not talking about punishment, I'm talking about discipline, And that is different. So Messiah will govern with God's discipline. And third, Messiah will govern Israel by God's power, verses 11 through 13. Surrounding Israel and Judah during Micah's ministry were all these other nations that wanted to destroy them. I've I've said that, right? These are ungodly nations who had no clue that God was using them as an act of discipline on his people. God promised that he would redeem his people. He he would restore them. He would bring them back. But it would be much later. Pagan nations will never, have never, and will never understand God's promises for his people. It's important to remember that though the people broke their side of the Abrahamic covenant, God never stopped honoring his covenant with them. They dropped their side, right? Right? But God always upheld his side. Friends, God always keeps his promises. If he promises something, right? If there's a promise, now not a principle, but a promise. If there's a promise that God has made, you can bank that it will come to pass. It might not come to pass in your timing, but it will always come to pass in his timing. You can count on it. God will protect and preserve his people. There would be a remnant of faithful ones, and God would not forget them. They would suffer due to the sins of those around them, but they would not be forgotten. Because we have this promise. Messiah will bring hope to hopeless lives. Messiah will bring hope to hopeless lives. He will not forget his people. I want to show you something really interesting. In the Old Covenant... Uh, the people had to go and make their sacrifices, right? And to worship God, they went to the temple where the presence of God rested, right? Or, and, and before that, it was the tabernacle, and they would go, and they would worship there. They would make their sacrifices. They had to go to a physical place to worship God. But in the new covenant, God came to us. God came and dwelt among us. Jesus Christ lived perfectly among us. Lived a perfect life with no sin, with no wicked thoughts, with no evil in his heart, but only good and righteousness and justice. And he died on the cross in our place for our sin and rose victoriously from the grave three days later. I beg of you, I urge you to trust him that whatever went on is temporary. It may kill you. It may kill you. But it's temporary. And reign eternally. And if you repent and believe the good news that is the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can have that because Jesus brings hope to hopeless lives. It's not just Messiah as they knew Messiah. We have a personal God, the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who died in our place for our sins and rose again. God will not forget his people. You know what? Jesus remembers. Jesus remembers. He remembers the promises that God made because he's God. He remembers the promises and he will keep the promises. In fact, the simple fact, it's not simple, but the fact that he rose from the grave proves to us, proves to us that God's going to keep his promises. Because we serve a living God and every other religious leader of every other religion ever is bones in the ground and our God is alive. God always keeps his promises. So what do we do with that? Pastor, I believe it, but what do we do with it? Well, number one, don't forget the hope you have in Jesus. Don't forget the hope you have in Jesus. When life gets really hard, when you get the diagnosis you don't want, when your kids don't act the way you think they should act, even though they're adults, rake their leaves and they go on your lawn. That's not, that's not my example. When things don't go the way you think they should go, don't forget that even when it seems hopeless, you have a hope in Jesus. So repent of sin. Believe the good news of the gospel. And always be prepared to share the hope that you have in Jesus. I hadn't really planned on this, but um, if you want to flip over to 1 Peter, it's not going to be on the screen because I didn't. It just sort of came to me, but... 1 Peter... Chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. But in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, Those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Don't forget the hope you have in Jesus and and share. Don't forget to share the hope you have in Jesus. Always be ready to give a reason for the hope you have. And I laughed a little bit because it says, "And do this with gentleness and respect, because I see a lot of people talking about Jesus, and a lot of people not doing it with much gentleness or respect. I think we figure, I don't know if people figure if they hide behind a keyboard they can act less Christian and get away with it. I don't know. That doesn't mean... Not sharing the hope. It says share. Be ready to share the hope that you have. Right. Be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. Just be gentle with people and respectful about it. That doesn't mean be wishy washy or ambipamby. Okay. I don't even know if you guys know the phrase ambipamby. That's something. My, that's a, That's my mom phrase. That may be from the south. That may be one of those southern things that's worked its way into my vocabulary. Wishy washy. We'll go, Charlie. Don't be Charlie Brown about it. Share the hope you have and be prepared to share the hope that you have, the hope that I have. Well, I want to help you with that. I want to help you with that. And do you know there is a way coming up when you can be prepared for that and equipped to do just that? Our discipleship track for Hope Bible Fellowship, which I'm calling Hope Deeper, I know, real creative, right? Hope Deeper is our discipleship track. The purpose of this class, because some people, um, we have talked about it a little bit, but not in much detail. Part of the purposes of this class is that we will go through it, and the first one is going to be a little bit of an intro to it. We're going to go through material. We're going to talk about what's in the Bible in order that you may be more prepared to disciple other people. The goal is not that we meet and have Bible study every week for the rest of time, okay? Although, I mean, obviously we want to do that, but that's not the goal. The goal is that you would be prepared so that you could teach this stuff to somebody else, sitting at a coffee shop once a week or at the lunch, uh, the break room at work, that you'd be able to disciple someone else. You may say, Pastor, I've already been discipled. I was, I was discipled by someone else. We have people in this church who've done discipleship with people. That's great. Are you discipling someone else? Are you leading someone else in those things? The reason I decided to do this class I, I was I wanted to be able to equip those who were wanting to equip you with not just a basic understanding and kind of a little even, the things that I think a Christian, a growing Christian who wants to be a disciple maker should know, okay, should understand about the scripture, about some doctrinal theology things, okay, but also that, that they would then be able to turn around and take the notes and teach it to somebody else, I'm not talking about standing up here in front and teaching in a lecture or anything like that, but sitting at your house over, you know, pie and coffee or rice cake and coffee if you're going the healthy mode, whatever. I don't even know if they do rice cakes anymore as much. And I don't even know if rice cakes are actually healthy. That's a whole other thing. But the goal is that you would be more equipped. You may say, well, I've already been discipled. You can still come to the class because a couple of things. God's word is a deep well. And you may learn some things about it that you didn't know. You may find that some of the stuff you you think you know about the word isn't quite right. It doesn't jive with the rest of the word. Um, But you'll also be there to enjoy the fellowship and the growing and sharpening of one another as well. So I want to invite you to that. Uh, Right now we're scheduled to start September 29th at 7 p.m. There will be a sign-up sheet going online. Uh, So it's not a sheet. It'll be a form online to sign up for that, be a part of that. It'll be Wednesday nights um, starting at 7 o'clock. And the first one is just going to be an intro to what we're going to be doing. Um, And I'll kind of go through a schedule with you and different things like that. But the reason I put this at the end of the sermon, not just because it obviously tied in very well, but is because... I think we need to understand the connection between what we do on Sunday morning and what we do during the week. And we need to understand that if we're just coming to church on Sunday morning and expecting this to be your all-year spiritual growth for the whole week, and you're not cracking the Bible at home, which is one of the things we're going to teach you how to do, um, if you're expecting this to be all for the week, I'm going to go get my, you know, get my Jesus, I almost said shot of Jesus, maybe that's a bad to talk about shots and inoculations right now, but go get my, 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 you know, my fix of Jesus for the week and then I'm good. That's not enough for your spiritual growth to sustain you, to continually live in the hope that we are promised in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me? I'm going to have a word of prayer and then Colin uh, is going to go ahead and come up and uh, lead us in a, a final song. If you are someone and, and, and you say, Pastor, um, I've been sitting here for a year and you talk about this Jesus, you talk about the gospel. And I've heard the word gospel thrown around, but I've never heard it said in this way uh, about Jesus dying in my place for my sin. If, if you are someone, we'll sit down and talk, or we can set up a time if you want later in the week. Happy to serve you in any way I can. Um, man, it's been a busy week. It's been a busy week. But let's not let another week start without making sure we are as right as we know how to be with the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for uh, the people you've gathered here to worship this this church, Hope Bible Fellowship. Thank you for calling me to pastor them. God, help us to be a a lighthouse that points people not to us but to you. Help us be, uh, number one, help us not get so tied up in the things going on in the world that we lose track of the hope we have in you. And help us proclaim that to everyone we come in contact with, Jesus, as we have opportunity. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen.